All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Happy Monday. My name is Meg, and I am here as part of Power to Fly's virtual hosting team, and I am super excited to be hosting uh, this amazing chat session with Alyssa. Um, before we jump in and I get to introduce you to our first speaker, I just want to go over a couple quick housekeeping items. Um, for those of you joining us, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, please feel free to uh, participate if you would like to. It's one of the one of my favorite parts about our events and what makes these events so fun and so personable is participation from the audience. So please feel free to turn your cameras on if you'd like. Um, you know, no need to feel in, that you have to be insta-perfect. Um, we are super happy to have you no matter where you're coming from, no matter what your, your situation is right now, please feel free to join us. Um, if you do want to participate by, you know, asking questions or adding comments, please feel free to. You can do that in a couple different ways. Um, if you do come off mute to add a question or comment or whatever, you will show up on the live recording of today's session. So if you have any kind of privacy concerns, you can still participate. You're just going to put any questions or comments you have into the Zoom group chat. And if you have any, um, you know, if you're in, say you're in like deep cover, super secret, don't want anyone to know you're here, no worries. Um, you can just send a DM to me with your comment or questions or whatever, and I will raise them um, for you and keep you anonymous. Um, so as we go through this, just know that there are many different ways you can participate and we absolutely welcome and encourage you to use any and all of them. Um, like I said, today's session is being recorded. So if you um, if you registered, anybody, everybody that registered for today's session, regardless of whether you show up at all, you stay for five minutes or you stay for the full 60, everybody's gonna get an email in about one to two business days that'll have a link to where they can rewatch this recording. Now, if Alyssa says something just mind blowing and you have got to share it right away, you don't have to wait the one to two days if you don't want to. You can head over to our YouTube channel. Um, I think it's called Power to Fly Chat and Learns. We have two channels now. Um, and then we would be absolutely ecstatic for you to check it out there. The, the recording um, of today's session will be live on our YouTube channel within about five to 15 minutes of the end of the session today. Um, like I said, you can always write in the chat if you have any questions or comments or if we're addressing one of your questions and you'd like to add some context to it, awesome. Um, and then absolutely feel free to keep up with us on social. We are at Power to Fly on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, please feel free to take pictures or video as we go, share the, share the love, share the resources, and let people know that you are learning with Power to Fly today. Now, it is my great pleasure to introduce you to our speaker. Um, Alyssa Mayers joins us with over 10 years of program development and management experience. She's currently the public programs manager at Columbia's Zuckerman Institute, and she's held other positions in higher education with various nonprofits. Her expertise in group dynamics and management is supported by her academic training in counseling psychology. So welcome, Alyssa. We're very happy to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. So um, happy to be here. Oh, go right ahead. Sorry. Um, so yeah, we're, we're super excited to have you join us. Um, I want to highlight for some people, um, before we start off and kind of kick off today's session, um, some of the principal themes for today's conversation. Now we have, um, put these together both in concert with Alyssa to kind of talk about the things she wants to cover today, but also based on the questions that y'all submitted prior to today's session. So, um, if you have a question, and you're not sure if we're going to ask it or get to it, um, please feel free to send it along in the chat or to come off mute and ask it. Um, you know, if you've taken the time out of your day to spend with us and be here for the live recording, um, then we want to make sure that we uh, return the favor and make sure that you get your questions asked and answered. Um, so what we're going to try and cover today, um, some of the practical guides for group management, 
We're going to talk about how you can engage with and really empower your team. And we're going to talk a little bit about some effective communication strategies um, in, in all of these areas. So I know, Alyssa, you have some more, some further information to get us started. So let's jump into your slides. Uh, just give me a heads up when you want me to flip through. Great, thank you. And I'm gonna be looking to the side a little bit just because that's where my notes are, but I am with you every step of the way. Um, so thank you for the introduction and I'm glad to be here to talk more deeply about group dynamics, group management, effective communication strategies, and also how to empower your team. So when I think about group management, I say the word group dynamics a lot because I think that it's a process. And, I, and my background in counseling psychology really challenges me and encourages me to think about the process of, of, of our interactions as humans. So starting with some of the theories before we get to the practical sense of how we actually implement this, I wanted to talk with you all about the Tuckman model of group development. Um, this is the theory and this model focuses on group work, collaborative efforts among group members and the group development process. So the one thing that you'll he hear me say a lot is about awareness. You know, bring awareness to the group process so that we can activate it and set it set it set ourselves up for the best case scenario so it's one of these things where it's you have to like call it out to let it go kind of thing so that bringing of awareness to things helps you really understand people better understand yourself and really understand where you are right in that moment so the here and now is what awareness is so awareness of the process it can expedite and infuse ease into the process sometimes we find ourselves caught up in these very challenging emotions related to our work and our work product. And it's possibly because we're not really connecting with what is happening in that moment. We're not connecting with what we're doing, what we're feeling and how it relates to our larger process. Some people think of these things as soft skills, but I just think they're skills because we bring our whole selves to anything we do. So why leave out some of those things like communication, like feelings? Those are very important to how we show up to work. So Bruce Tuckman, the person who um, coined this model, he was a psychologist and in 1965, he created this model where groups go through stages of group development. And it started originally with four stages, which are forming, storming, norming, and performing. It's very easy to remember things that rhyme. So that's another great way to kind of remember this. But if you go to the next slide, you'll see that this model was mapped out in so many different ways. And I choose this specific visual because it's a cycle. And like most things in life, it's not linear. Some of you may Google this and I apologize, it's a little grainy, but some of the, the other better visuals were not the, they didn't get at what I really wanted to underscore here, which is this is a process where you can move backward and forward through. Um, it's not linear and it really depends on what challenges arrive. So you may start at forming, which is number one here, but, um, excuse me, you may not start at forming, but you will go through all of the stages. So if you start off at performing and then challenges arrive, you may need to backtrack through some of the other processes so that you get a sense of how to continue moving forward in a very seamless way without or minimizing challenges because there will, there will always be challenges. So that's what this, this visual is displaying. It's displaying the cyclical nature of it. 
And so if you advance to the next slide, you'll see that in around 1977, um, someone else was supporting Bruce Tuckman's work. So along with Marianne Conover Jensen, Tuckman revised the model to include a fifth and final stage adjourning. Because whenever things end, sometimes there's some stuff there. And Marianne thought that it was important to add it to the overall process that we have of group dynamics or group development. So along with, um, if you follow the next slide, you'll see that there is a different way of looking at this um, with some pain points inserted. So if you look at this more linear version of it, even though this is not a, a linear process, you see that the X axis is time and the Y axis is team effectiveness. And so if you start out with forming, you, you will get to that huge bump in performing, but there are a few things that you have to anticipate along the way, including some pain points. You know, and I'll get into this in some of the other slides, but if you just look at this one, you'll see that you start out with, with forming. There's excitement, anticipation, anxiety, and optimism. There's just a lot of conflicting emotions, but the pain point there is new team formation. Whenever you start something new, there's, so much that you can experience, you're not really sure how to feel. We wanna say that we're excited, but we sometimes are a little bit anxious and maybe pessimistic about what's gonna happen. But as you move through the next stages, you see that you dip down a little bit with storming. And with storming, reality sets in. It's like, okay, I'm in this group, I actually have to do some work. Like, well, how am I gonna show up? What if I don't get along with people? I don't like the way people communicate. What, who am I going to talk to about all these problems? And, you know, we often see that with storming. And here the pain point was a realistic, um, uh, an actual example of an existing co-located team converted to a virtual team. So that emphasizes that the process of maybe you finding yourself in a group that's performing can get knocked down to storming if something changes in the environment. And then you have to rework yourselves to get back to the point of norming and performing. So if we go to the next slide, um, I'll talk more in depth about each stage. So if we start with forming, you'll have characteristics of what's happening in the group and then strategies for the facilitators. So if you find yourself in the role of a facilitator, you may not necessarily be the manager of that group. You're just taking the lead on this project. And so you'll see that with forming, you're just getting together. You know, there's a high dependence on the facilitator for guidance and direction. Nobody knows what they're doing and they're looking to the leader to take the lead. Um, there's little agreement on team aims other than received from the facilitator. You may find that there's a lot of questioning and uncertainty. There's also a display of eagerness. People wanna show that, hey, I'm for this team. I wanna be a part of it. I'm a great team player. So everyone is kind of behaving on their, being on their best behavior at this point. Um, but at the same time, individual roles and responsibilities are unclear. The facilitator tends to answer a lot of questions about the team's purpose and objectives and external relationships. And oftentimes in this stage, processes are ignored because what is the process? Aren't we here to just build it together? That could be the perspective of some group members. And members usually test the tolerance of the system and the facilitator because it's almost like, okay, you're, you're leading, but 
is this the way we should go? Like, are you directing us in the right way? A lot of that happens, the uncertainty comes up. Um, so it's great here to stick to safe topics because that's what the group is going to navigate toward. But as a facilitator, you want to really set the stage of the fact that you can be depended on. You wanna take the lead you know, understand that there will be a lot of questions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're questioning your expertise. They're just confused. <laughs> and when we are confused, you may not be the most polite about the things that you say. Um, so it may come off as questioning or undermining authority, but people just wanna understand what they're here to do and what this experience is, gonna, is going to be like. So another way to show that you are there for the team as a facilitator is quick response times. You know, we, we like to give ourselves some space in between, but you're really trying to, uh, to assert trust as the leader. So quick response times really helps minimize people's uncertainty and helps them to kind of like self-soothe a little bit with some of their questioning. So if we're moving to the next slide, you'll see that the next, um, the next phase is called storming. This is when things get a little bit heated. And that's because, you know, you have decisions that may not be made um, easily within the group. There's a conflict because all that stuff from forming, the uncertainty and the questioning, that kind of leaks itself into storming because you still have not really identified exactly what this group is gonna be and maybe people have a sense of what that is, but now people are vying for position as they attempt to establish themselves in relation to other team members and the leader. So you get that kind of like transition. People in transition in a vacuum is storming pretty much. You know, people are saying, okay, well, this may be the facilitator, but I'm the person that's, you know, in charge of all the communications, or I wanna be the person that helps to, you know, um, develop subgroups so that we can figure out some of the, the 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 extra topics that we need to cover. There's a lot of that happening. And so in order to, I guess, combat some of that and some of the high emotions, you want to have clarity of purpose and definitely understand that cliques and factions may form. Like that is a typical um, storming response within a group. People will find their friends in the group and stick to those friends, and that's what's going to happen. So you're going to have subgroups within this group. But even though that happens, you definitely want to encourage leadership. You want to start normalizing issues, reframing using things like I statements instead of, well, you or people or they or them. It's I'm, I'm thinking that maybe the group could be a little frustrated because we're all trying to figure out what our roles are right now. And that's where the conflict is coming from. So going back to that whole bringing awareness, you know, bring it up, you know, call it out to let it go. If you bring awareness to some of these issues, some of the conflict, some of the high emotions, perhaps it'll give the group space to actually define and understand what they're going through so that we can now let it go and move on to what's next which is norming. So in the next slide, we talk about norming and how in that stage, there's more agreement and consensus. 
that's what's being formed and people will start responding well to the facilitator. Roles and responsibilities are clear and accepted and big decisions are made by, the, by group agreement. Commitment and unity is strong. And it's so ironic because um, even though storming happens and it's uncomfortable and it's frustrating, that's where trust is being built. That's where actual trust is. You can argue with these people and work with them. You can trust them, you know, as long as you identify some of the pain points, that's how you really get a sense of how you can trust people and how you can rely on them for certain things. So the team discusses and develops its processes and working style. That's what's happening in norming. You're just setting up how we're going to work. You know, what are, what are, how, what is it that we're doing as a group and how are we setting this up so that we can be successful? So general respect for the leader and some leadership is more shared by the team and the leader facilitates and enables. So the characteristics here are reconciliation, you know, wounds are, 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 are being tended to. There's relief and lowered anxiety because you actually get an understanding of what you're doing here. And then members are engaged and supportive. And that's mostly because we've identified roles. People have a sense of membership and understanding around what they're doing. And so cohesion develops. And because of that, you recognize as the facilitator, you're recognizing individual and group efforts. You know, the individuals will rise to the top and so will the larger group efforts. You'll understand how those individuals work toward the betterment of the group. And then you provide learning opportunities. This is a great way to empower your team in this stage of norming. Provide learning opportunities like professional development. If you see that certain things are, are happening and you're like, oh, hey, you know, perhaps I can provide some communication pro professional development because people are um, either starting to communicate well or a communicator person who's like gonna be in charge of that is starting to rise up. So you select different opportunities to empower your team by providing those learning opportunities because that means hey as a group member the leader is pouring into me they are seeing value in what i'm doing and they want me to be better at it so that creates a sense of empowerment and then feedback and i put a feedback wheel here because there's so many um, out there <laughs> that you can Google and get a sense of how to give good feedback. But um, feedback is one thing that you always want to try to insert in the process. And once you've gotten to the stage of norming, it's a great way, it's a great opportunity to do that because, you know, people um, are less guarded. You, they've gotten past the frustrations of storming. So they're maybe open to a little bit more feedback at this point and you can provide them with constructive feedback that also is requested. That's one of the things I will say about feedback. Please don't offer feedback that hasn't been requested because it may not go over well. But if you leave the space and say, I'd like to give feedback to the group or to an individual, then perhaps you can set up a time um, and space for when that feedback can be given. But another thing, um, the last thing on norming is monitoring the energy of the group. Use immediacy and operate in the here and now. Whatever is happening in that group in the moment should be elevated to a conversation. If the group is, you know, just had a great conversation, elevate that and say, you know what I just noticed? It was a seamless conversation here and we were able to get to outcomes so quickly. You know, so perhaps you can call that out to understand what the elements 
were in that process so you can replicate them. And the same goes with things that don't feel so so good either. You know, if something negative just happened, you want to call it out and maybe explore what's happening there too. So that's norming. And if we move on to the next slide um, to talk about performing, you'll see that here there's more strategic awareness. Um, there's the, the group knows clearly what it's doing and why it's doing it. There's demonstrations of interdependence. So maybe these clicks that were kind of like not so positive before have now turned into these like smaller working groups where people know how to depend on each other and you don't even have to guide them as the facilitator. They already know who to go to for what. A healthy system emerges and there's a shared vision amongst everyone. Everyone's on their own feet with no interference from the leader. There's a high degree of autonomy. Um, so there's also the ability to effectively produce as a team and balance tasks and processes and orient yourself around that balance. Now, if disagreements occur, and we're human beings and we love to argue, um, that, that's okay in performing because they are now resolved within the team and in a very positive way and necessary changes to the processes and structure are made by the team. So it's like a self-sustaining organism. And I, and I use that word organism because I do feel that groups all by themselves are an organism. Like they have this life of their own that is completely not dependent on each individual but only manifests itself in a group. And so that's why understanding the process is so critical because how you operate as an individual is completely different from how you operate in a group. And we all love to think that I'm the same person everywhere, but we're not. We are different people <laughs> depending on the situation. And that does not say anything badly about you. It's just the nature of an experience. So in performing, care happens. Members start to look after each other. They start to understand that these disagreements are necessary and we still want to be very careful with each other. So strategies for the facilitator, when you see that your group is performing and doing really great work, you want to celebrate that. That is a great way to empower your team, like celebrating their victories and calling out their victories. You also want to guide from the side. So minimal intervention. If you see something happening, you know, a fire breaks out you know, figuratively, a fire breaks out within the group, you don't necessarily have to run and hurry up and put it out and, you know, jump in like, you know, mommy and coming in and, oh, it's okay. You want to let them try. Let them try to solve their own problems and let and see how it impacts the work and see if someone brings themselves to you as the facilitator, as a person who really wants to work this through. Like you want to, you want to, um, uh, promote and also praise leadership that crops up from within the group. So if someone is trying to do that, celebrate that as well. Encourage the group to do their own decision making and problem solving. That's along with guide from the side. And then provide opportunities to share learning across teams. So learn from what you're doing with other um, and then activate other aspects of your job or other groups that you may see happening because, you know, I, I'm not sure where everyone works, but, you know, word of mouth is a thing. Gossip is a thing. <laughs> so 
So if you see that things are working and you share that with another group, it may get back to that group that, hey, you're being talked about in a really good way. Your leader is like really impressed with you. And that's another way of empowering your team. And so the last and final step of this five-step model is adjourning. So in the next slide, you'll see some of the characteristics of adjourning. Um, this is what I call the termination stage where things end. So naturally you summarize the process, reflect on things that you liked and things you would have liked to change and maybe give any extra you know, feedback or any extra um, information like handouts or something like that. But here, you shift to process orientation. You start to do that reflection. There might be some sadness and that's okay because that just means people don't want the good times to end. But at the same time, you wanna recognize the team and individual efforts. So adjourning is the wrap up stage, but it's also the, you know, like the graduation stage. You, you, you give out awards, you know, you say, you know, most improved, all of that, not in a corny sense, but in a, in a sense that makes sense for your team. Um, and for the facilitator, you recognize the change, recognize that there might be some sadness and that's, that's something to actually bring up with the group, um, provide an opportunity for summative team evaluations, like how are we going to capture what we did here and reflect on it in a longer term, you know, how are we going to improve for the next time or what things are we going to carry forward to another time. And then providing an opportunity for acknowledgements. So there might be some um, team acknowledgements, you know, from team members to other team members. So you wanna you wanna have room for that because it's not all about the the leader or the teacher or the facilitator creating this sense of adjourning and this sense of praise. It's about everyone praising each other um, and everyone sharing and giving feedback with each other too. So if there's time, I have this short video that um, was created not by me, but I found on the internet. And it's the five stages as told by the Fellowship of the Ring. And this sort of shows you that this um, stage, this process can be used anywhere at any time. All right. Strangers from distant lands, friends of old, you've been summoned here to answer the threat of Mordor. Middle-earth stands upon the brink of destruction. None can escape it. You will unite or you will fall. Each race is bound to this fate, this one doom. Bring forth the ring, Frodo. Fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? 
What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. No one trusts an elf! I will take the ring to Mordor. No. I do not know the way. I will help you bear this burden, Frodo Baggins, as long as it is yours to bear. If by my life or death, I can protect you. I will. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. Carry the face of us all, little one. If this is indeed the will of the council, so much for bringing that up um so yeah so I, I liked that 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 clip because it shows first of all i feel like this these 
this process can be applied anywhere to be to, to almost any situation, whether it's something that's a long term thing or even just a short term process happening in, in the, the span of just a few minutes. Um, it's interesting, some things that came up when they started with from forming and just understanding like what they're there to do. There was some anxiety and uncertainty and it, it manifested itself and came to a head in storming when it was like, well, who's doing what? And everyone's arguing. And sometimes we don't have those very dramatic displays of dissension and frustration in our workspaces. What we do have are very specific nonverbals and um, passive aggressive ways of acting, which can be just as frustrating as people getting up and screaming at each other. So the eye rolling, the shift in weight, the silent, you know, you know, size that we have, that can be a, a display of storming. And so it's great to really be to recognize those and to bring those up. And it's not a way of kind of, you know, embarrassing your team if someone's rolling their eyes you don't have to call out individual behavior as if you know we were in a classroom but it is important to read the room and and know what's happening and if there's even one person that's frustrated it can really become a cancer for the team so you want to address those and then one of the other things that stood out with this clip aside from forming when everybody was oh, great and we're going to help frodo with the ring and all of that was the performing as well. Everybody was fighting their own fight in that fight scene. No one had to, to come together and strategize in every moment. The Someone was hitting people with an ax, the other one was stabbing people with a sword. Like everyone had their role to play there and they understood it and they just did it seamlessly. And then adjourning. And one thing I wanted to really highlight with adjourning with that specific clip that I didn't mention in the slide is that sometimes you're just working on one aspect of a thing and that thing has a larger goal a larger outcome and just because that one piece of it ends that means that you can splinter off into other teams and other adventures so that you can feed the larger goal and so even though they weren't helping frodo with the ring at that very moment and frodo went somewhere else with whoever, and they were going to go fight this other war, it really was serving the collective purpose. And they understood, well, some of them at that moment understood that and articulated it saying, okay, it's not about this right now. They're doing that. We have to fight this other thing so that we can serve the collective good. And that's what usually happens with adjoining. Sometimes you're left with these implications for future work. And what does that future work look like? Just because this one project ended doesn't mean we can't move forward into something else and maybe create new teams that can serve that purpose. So I wanted to bring that up um, just to try to, you know, summarize what we just saw and then move um, actually along to the last slide that I have here, which talks about applications and implications. Like how do we apply this more largely in our work. You know, we have, some of us have diversity, equity, and inclusion groups. We may be a part of task forces. We might be developing new programs, or we may just be putting on an event. Any of these uh, situations, you can use the group process because unless you're working on it completely by yourself, there is some aspect of group dynamics and some group process that is at play. You just have to really figure out and uncover where we are in that. So um, 
I hope that this was helpful for you. I would love to answer some of the questions that maybe I didn't get to in some of my talking points, um, but I hope that generally this is something useful that you can um, use and apply in, in your workspaces. Thank you for that, Alyssa. I absolutely love it. And the the illustration of it, you know, with Lord of the Rings, it's 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 one of those stories that like I'm familiar enough with, but I'm not like super fangirl. Like my nerd knowledge is elsewhere. Um, but yeah, that was a really awesome way to kind of illustrate these different stages. And as you were talking and as I was seeing it play out there, I was like, oh yeah, I've definitely seen that happen with way less, like way less pomp and circumstance, but no less drama. Like it absolutely the the, especially the point about an eye roll still being kind of just as problematic. Absolutely. All right. So exactly. we have some really great questions in here and you're right. We covered a lot of them, but I'm going to, I'm going to go through them and let's see if there's anything else you wanted to add, or if there's some in here that we haven't really like um, addressed. So let's talk about, you know, kind of that imperfect and, you know, unideal necessarily um, of a uh, situation where you have a group they don't really want to be there um, or they're not willing participants to whatever project they're supposed to be working on. How can you work around that unwillingness to either kind of eradicate that or it, or even just um, increase actual motivation within the team? How can you get around that? Yeah, so that is happens a lot where we're, we are voluntold to do things and <laughs> instead of volunteering to be a part of this group and this fun new project. Um, one of the things that I think is is effective is something that I, I've said a lot is, you know, call it out to let it go. We have to just know that hey, no one. I don't. I don't. I don't suggest you say this, but no one wants to really do this right now. Okay, let's be honest with ourselves. You weren't. You didn't volunteer for this, but we're here. And how can we be most productive with our time? So I would call that out, first of all, and say, you know, set it up that you invite people to share maybe some of the frustrations that they have immediately, even before they get started, but then also invite them to share with you how they would like to work within this group, even though they may not be super enthusiastic about the topic or the project or whatever it is that they're about to do. I like to use invitations for things. Let me invite you to share with me the best way that we can engage your time right now. And it doesn't have to be an immediate response because maybe they weren't prepared to actually have that level of like thought around themselves. It could be something they come back to the group with, but they have to come back with something because we're doing this, you know, that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're on this project, we're on this team, but I want you to share with me what's the best way to move forward. And then as the leader, you kind of, put all those things together and present something back to the group and try to gain some agreement on that before you even get started. Gaining agreement is critical because they already are upset. So you don't wanna to continue to just tell them what to do. You want them to agree and then we can actually move forward. So hopefully that will work. Yeah, I love that idea. Like, cause I mean, even if all you can get people to agree on is like, this is a problem, it needs to be addressed they might still be unhappy that they're the ones having to do the work or they're the ones, you know, the only people seemingly addressing it. But if there's at least that base understanding and base agreement in something, that's that's something you can build on. I love that idea. Definitely. 
Um, I, okay, so let's talk a little bit more. I, I was really interested in the way you described soft skills as not soft, because you're right. I mean, these are, they. I think they call them soft skills because there's no like stamp of approval or certificate you can get to like say, like, I know how to do this. But mm -hmm. I also tend to think of them as kind of like the merit badges of adulting. Like you learn how to talk to people, you learn how to deal with, you know, uncomfortable conversations, you learn, you know, social mores of whatever system you're in. So what would you what would you suggest for dealing with team members who only are interested in the tangible results? They they don't want to do the process of, of you know not even they don't want to do it. They don't want to focus or talk about how these things are going to get accomplished or what tasks might go into them. They only want to look at the tangible things. So like here's the list that needs to be made, here's the people that we need to help, here's the steps that we need to take. How how do you um, handle that if you have team members on your team that are acting that way? Yeah, that's a great question and a valid concern. Um, I do think that there are things that happen on a team that don't really require soft skills, like putting a list together or like summarizing points um, in written form doesn't necessarily require soft skills. But those people that kind of, you know, poo poo on soft skills, I would challenge them to think about some of the things that they like about working in groups, and then think about some of the things that they don't like about working in groups. I think that's a great place to start a conversation because oftentimes a lot of the things that people don't like are the things that we don't get certificates for and the things that we just kind of expect people to know how to do, like talk to people and like, you know, being kind and considerate. You know, you don't necessarily all come with the same set of skills and the same set of expectations. So perhaps having a conversation around those things, like, okay, what are, what are the things that you like about working in a group? And what are the things that really frustrate you about working in a group? And if you pick apart some of those things that you, especially that are frustrating, they may be around communication. They may be around setting expectations and all the things that require group buy-in and understanding, um, frustration and feelings and things that people just feel like we waste time on. So if we set those conversations up from the beginning, then we can align ourselves on the same page and understand that these are important and critical to the process that we're, we're having right now. They may, you may, you still may not feel that they're important overall, but the work that we're getting done right now in this moment require those soft skills. So let's elevate them and make them a priority. So if you if you wrap it in the packaging of what we need to do right now, perhaps people will uh, you know leave behind their overall dissensions around these soft skills and just embrace them for what we need to get done in this moment. No, I think that's that's a really good point. I mean, I I'm thinking back to like previous teams that I've been in, not even having led, and uh, I, I'm thinking back to times where people were not real happy about how this whole thing was going to go and thinking like, well, let's just rush through it and get it done. But yeah, like kind of focusing on, all right, well, if, if timing and you are just, if you're really focused on let's getting this, let's get this done as quickly as possible, here's the ways that we're going to help smooth the way. So if you are able to, you know, we can kind of come together without, you know, uh, kind of biting each other's heads off, this will get done a lot faster. I mean, that deals back to childhood, right? Like having to like, clean up a shared bedroom with siblings and if everybody will stop you know backbiting and stuff we'll get this done and then we don't have to keep doing this um so, yeah i mean it's it's one of those base level things but like we lose track of as you get older and have to learn and and 
keep up with so much other knowledge. For sure. Um, so let's talk about the differences between how, how this management can play out in a corporate environment versus a startup. Mm -hmm. um, I've never actually worked in a corporate environment, but I've worked in like mid-levels and then I've worked at a startup for Power to Fly. And even just between those two environments, I know that it's very different. But what what are the ta main takeaways of what you need to know um, and do differently for a corporate team versus a startup? For a corporate team, it's important to know that there's you're up against probably a large bureaucracy. So there's 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 but so much you can actually do and change. There's a lot of working within boundaries. You know, working within these parameters. So just knowing that, just start to adapt a flexible stance on things. So you have to have a, a flexible state of mind, but also understand that within a corporate um, environment, you may be engaging in teams that have already been formed. Like you may just be dropped in the middle of something that's already happening. And now you're expected to figure out how to work with folks, how to lead them and still get the outcomes that you want. So I think what's important there is to, you may have to do a lot of legwork yourself as the leader or as the person that's being dropped in the middle of this corporate team, because you have to understand where is this team right now? How are you going to figure out where they are right now? Are they forming? Are they norming? Are they storming? Are they performing? What is happening with this team? And then you get a sense of how you show up because just because they're performing and you missed forming, storming, and norming doesn't mean you have to bring them back to the beginning just because you have to get caught up. So understand where the team is and then know how to insert yourself into that. So you may have to do some forming and norming on your own, figuring out who you can identify as an ally in that team. Have the team create that for you. Say, okay, I know I'm new here or I just started with you know, your, your working group already, but I wanna get a sense of like where you are right now. Is there you know, one or two of you that I can talk to to just catch me up? Perhaps you can nominate someone from the group. Um, so it's not like, oh, you, Meg, tell me everything that's going on. It's like, I don't even wanna do that. Like I didn't, how did I get that, that, that job? But um, really have the group nominate someone because it's coming from a point of concern and consideration, like I want, to meet you where you are instead of you just having to teach me everything, but I'm the one in charge. So that's what I would say with a corporate environment. With a startup environment, it can feel like you're always forming all the time. <laughs> so that can be difficult because when do you get to the point of performing? And it's like, oh, we're already performing. I didn't even recognize it because we're all, we're, it always feels like we're starting and we're at the very beginning. So I think with that, it really takes a nuanced approach to recognize those achievements and when things have moved forward into a different stage and to celebrate those. Because a lot of times with startups, it's the little things that really make a huge difference on whether or not you're gonna stay where you are or move like rapid speed toward your outcome. So I would um, really, appreciate those small moments of, of movement in a startup environment and also bring awareness to the fact that we may always feel like we're forming and that's that's valid but notice when you've moved forward with something and highlight that 
to your team. And it could be the smallest thing, the smallest achievement. But we, but keeping the communication open in a startup environment is critical to moving forward and, and, and actually like feeling like you're moving forward. Um, just because the nature of a startup, it always feels like you're trying to get things off the ground and moving in another direction. And, and what does it look like when we do? So perhaps even setting up those expectations ahead of time, like, okay, we're gonna celebrate when we do this. Like it may not feel like an achievement and we may have to go back to the beginning again, but we are gonna celebrate that. So at least people know what that feels like. No, I totally agree. Um, it's very, I'm, I'm loving seeing the, the breakdown, you know, like storming, norming, forming, like these are, it's it's very easy to get kind of caught up in like okay we're putting this project together and then there's a very large chunk of time between project is going together and then success or some sort of achievement that you can measure and so i love the idea of being able to break it down a little bit because it makes it feel less like like the slog right it's less like well what are we doing what do we accomplish what's happening but yeah the the idea of of really celebrating when you have a, a you know a point to mark Mm -hmm. It's so important, especially in a startup where everybody, you might be on like six different teams like this. Right. So right. all of the teams that you're involved in are sort of in the, the middle slog somewhere and no one's really keeping track. Like a win in one place can help like kind of give you that momentum to push a win someplace else. Exactly. So yeah, I absolutely love that idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So we talked about corporate versus startup. Um, what about with a team that's um, that's remote and distributed? So if you've got a, a team that's working either across countries or across time zones, this is you know they're it's it's not impossible, but they're that much extra like you know the, that many extra variables to take into account on this. Um, what does that change uh, tactic wise? Yeah, that changes the um, a lot. <laughs> it can change the forming. It can change the norming. Um, I do feel like when teams are physically scattered, it's that much more important to have some sort of norm activity that you do, whether it's, first of all, setting up your group norms from the very beginning. This is how we show up. This is how we, we communicate. This is how we talk to each other and interact. Set those up so you are showing up the same way each time, even so though like you're in different like routine meetings or check-ins yes, or if yes. you have a problem this is how we do this yeah yeah setting those up exactly but then also um creating space for the for a community building you know do something to do more things together it will feel like uh kind of corny at first <laughs> uh for lack of better terms but you will develop develop that sense of community within the group if you do professional development with each other. Um, one thing that uh, my team does, even though you know I work at Columbia, we've scattered a little bit because of, of COVID and people have gone and they're in California, they're in Oregon, they're in other parts of the world. Um, what we like to do is within our group meetings, our team meetings, we have this shared experience. So sometimes where someone's leading the, the, the topic they're like, okay, now we're gonna sit and listen to a podcast together that speaks to this topic. So we're doing something that we would normally do alone. No one listens to podcasts with other people. I mean, not people, I, I don't know those people, but we're doing something that we would normally do alone, but we're doing it together and we're responding together. So we're, we're listening to this podcast and maybe we're reacting over Slack 
or we're listening to this podcast and we're, we're silently writing our reactions um, and then we're gonna share them together as a group or we're, we're not even listening to a podcast, we're just talking about something, but we're, we go to um, one of the Google apps Jamboard and we start Jamboarding ideas. So we, we, it feels like we're brainstorming together. And so you wanna start to figure out what tools you can implement so that you create this sense of community. Do things that you wouldn't normally do with other people, start to do them with your team. That sense of like, okay, we're all gonna go to this conference topic right now. Like that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing as a team. So you create this sense of community when normally we'd go to a conference by ourselves and then like talk about it in a team meeting. But no, we're actually gonna go together and communicate with each other while in that space so that we can start to foster this, this language, this team language, this team conversation that really will bring us closer together in our work. Yeah, that's so great. The, that shared experience, you know, giving people a, a common thread between between or among all of them, you know, even if that thing didn't exist prior, you know, prior to that that event or that um, activity. I think right, that, that's right. so great. And I love the idea of the podcast too, because you're right. Like I don't listen to podcasts with other people, but the idea of, you know, it's it's no real, it's, it's not really any different than like going to listen to someone speak. You would all sit next to each other and be listening to the same thing anyway. Exactly. So yeah, that's that's great. I love that. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. It's like, how do we now create these things that we just took for granted before and we would just normally do with each other? How do we actually intentionally create them? You know, bonds are formed on commutes to work you know, and that's your friend now, and that's your work friend. And that's the person you go to when you need advice on something or when you need help with a project. So how do we create that when we're just all by ourselves in our homes and not having that 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 work life that we used to take, a, take for granted in some cases that really just builds community on its own. But now we have to actively work to that. So that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you're so right. You know, it's, it's one of those things that we talk a lot about, um, you know, I'm power to fly has always been remote and distributed. So this is a thing that we've had to do, but you're, I really identified so strongly when you were like, yeah, this is going to feel a little hokey to start with. And it does. Cause you're, you're right. You are purposely engineering these moments or these activities or these experiences that used to happen, not organically, but like the, all of the parts just sort of fell into place and you were all already there. So yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. It's going to seem a bit odd, but it's the extra planning on the front end that enables you to have that same interaction that you would have if you were all in the same place or on the, in the same time zone. Yeah. All right. So I know we only have about five minutes left, um, but I want to try and get through a couple more of these questions because these were just great. Um, so we talked, oh, sorry, um, we talked a little bit about um, managing from the side, right? And leading from the side. In like within that idea, which I think you're right, is really, really great to kind of let people work out their own issues and, and be there for support, but not be like overshadowing or doing this for people. How do you give your employees or your team members that autonomy without coming across as micromanaging if they're not following through? Because that idea of like everybody can can keep track of themselves is great until somebody doesn't. So how would you how 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 do you think is best to manage that that switch or you know that situation to try and tackle? Yeah, that's a great point um, because it can really like deflate the team and the trust if you start to adopt a micromanagement uh, style. 
Um, so I think I, I think something that we probably implement in different ways is routine check-ins um, with the team, you know, so that there's no opportunity for things to fall through the cracks. And they will, even if you try your hardest, but at least there's a buffer. And it's not like all this time has passed and this slipped through the cracks and now we have to do all this work to repair. Um, but I do think it's helpful to um, also acknowledge a shift in uh, um, what, uh, a shift in dynamics, like, oh, you know, I've started to take a back seat as the facilitator or the leader. And, you know, I noticed that things are happening more autonomously, but I want to check in with you individually. So I might ramp up my check-ins at the beginning of a, a transitional shift and then go back to maybe whatever was normally in play before, whether it was once a week or however it was before. Maybe when things start to happen more autonomously, I might ramp up my check-ins just so I can feel more connected to the work because I don't have as much visibility. I'm, these are the work, these are, this is the language I would say to my team. I don't have as much visibility on it anymore. So maybe we can compensate that by having a couple more check-ins, more frequent check-ins, just so I can make sure things are happening the way they should and you, I'm available to you if you need me because I'm not as involved anymore. So you, you, you wanna put a spin on it, but you, you definitely want to keep your eyes on it and notice that, okay, yeah, things are happening without me and that's great, but how, how do I feel now? You know, like I may be uncomfortable with that as a leader. So maybe I should voice that and be honest with my team and let them know that even though things are working great, I don't have as much visibility. So I'd like to have that by just having a couple more check-ins um, along the week than I did before, something like that. So it's really about being honest and, and kind of putting a spin on it, but not in a completely negative way. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, um, what is my mom? My mom always says something about, you know, you can be honest with somebody, but do it tactfully. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's no reason, like if you have, even if you have difficult, you know, information delivered to somebody, there's no reason to do it just, you know, in, in a kind of crappy way. You can all, there's always a way to be tactful about what you're telling someone. So I love, I love that idea of like, yeah, speak the truth to them. But if you need to like couch it in something to make it, make it, you know, make that person actually hear you as opposed to just reacting. Yeah. That's so great. Right. Um, all right. The last thing I want to talk on, like touch on before we close out for today is this idea of being an individual contributor to the team versus being the leader. Because mm -hmm. I think personally, I've been on a lot of teams that didn't necessarily have anybody in them that was that leadership person, you know, you know, those people that you work with and it's like, that person's a natural leader. My husband is a natural leader. My, my middle sister is a natural leader. They're just these people that like, for lack of a better word, they have their shit together and they have this aura about them and people follow them. So if you are not that person, if you're not, you know, and maybe there's a vacuum and there isn't one in your group, mm -hmm. how important are the, you know, the attitudes of each individual contributor if you're not that person that all the lemmings follow? Yeah. I think it's important to show that, okay, what is your role going to be in this group? Identify that strongly, because if you have a firm hold on what your role is and you're able to show that within the group, people will look to you for that. They may not look to you for complete leadership, but you do have a role in this group. And then you may want to delegate voices so that those people, A, can be elevated in their visibility of the group, 
but also that you show that you trust people and that is the sign of, of a really good leader to have trust in the group. You're not gonna be able to do everything yourself, but at the same time, you can identify those roles within the group where you can say, hey, that person is great at this, they should do that. And that's your that could be your role. Your role doesn't have to be like the mighty leader, but it is that person that has value that can tap others to be those leaders in the group and serve in leadership on certain things. So I would, I would, I would, what my, my sister always says, stay in your lane on that. If your lane is not the leader, but you have this leadership wand, then tap other people with it so they can be elevated and get the work done so that you don't have to feel like you have to pretend to be this amazing leader that you may not feel comfortable with that role. So that, that would be the, the succinct way of answering that question. No, thank you. Because that, that actually highlights a really good point that I didn't think of, which is, you know, even if you are that leadership person, not everybody either feels like that or really wants to do anything with it. So yeah, you, I, I love the idea of both utilizing your power for good, but also recognizing that even if you don't see it, it might still be there. Um, so, you know, kind of act as though you are, even if you might not be. I, lo I love that. Yeah. Um, all right, we have come to time. These always go way too quickly. I have had a wonderful okay. afternoon um, learning from you. I just wanna say a huge thank you, Alyssa, um, for taking time to, to spend with us, address some of these amazing questions and the great presentation you prepared for us because this was very eye-opening to me. I absolutely loved it. Well, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful after hour to spend with everyone. It's great. Um, I want to say a huge thank you to all of our participants, everybody who is watching via YouTube or live with us on the Zoom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this rounds out our presentations for Monday, but I do want to encourage you to um, take a look at some of the events we have coming up the rest of this week, next week, leading up to our virtual um, mini summit in June. We're uh, highlighting Pride at Work, so coming in to see how we can support and continue to support and develop the uh, amazing Alphabet Mafia in our midst. And just hope that you'll join us for um, many more upcoming conversations like today. Um, I can't wait uh, to hopefully speak with Alyssa again. This was wonderful. And I hope all of you have an amazing rest of your Monday and a great, safe, and happy week. Thanks for spending time with Power to Fly, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.